This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is our regular Friday segment with Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Max has with him and us today a very special guest, someone near and dear to the hearts of students in the Valley. So, Max Page, let me turn the microphone over to you. Thank you. Good morning, Bill. Yes, I will. I want to introduce um, Phyllis Keenan, who's an adjunct math faculty member at Greenfield Community College, as well as Holyoke Community College. And I wanted to have Phyllis on. Uh, and good morning, Phyllis. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So Phyllis spoke at a December 1st event that we had at the Massachusetts State House, talking about the need to invest in public higher education. And I wanted her to share her story on this show um, about the work that she does as a math faculty member at Greenfield Community College. But I wanted to first, Bill, if it's okay, uh, note something, you know, some momentous events that just happened, which is first the opening of the legislative session two days ago, and then yesterday the inauguration of Governor, now Governor Maura Healy and Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll. And on, on uh, Tuesday, or rather on Wednesday, Senate President Spilka, the President of the, of the Senate, gave her opening day speech in which she laid out her priorities. And in some thousand words of a speech, a good portion of her speech, she spoke about the importance of public higher education and in ways that I've never seen by a legislative leader. Let me just read a very few lines. She said, for her, public higher education was quite simply a life-changing opportunity for me, one that I want to ensure every young person in Massachusetts has, no matter who they are or where they grew up. And she says, the need for investment in public higher education is greater than ever before. Um, and similarly, our need to lead in this area is more important than ever before. And she says, the people of Massachusetts agree. They have told us loud and clear through the passage of the fair share amendment that the, the time for the Senate to lead is now in public higher education, just as we have with K-12 and with early education and care. Max Page, so, let me interrupt for one minute. I would appreciate uh, your quick take on this, because as you note at the beginning of your comments, uh, it was an historic moment. That's the headline of the Daily Hampshire Gazette today. Uh, first women lesbian elected governor, elected governor and deputy sworn in to form all-female ticket. Uh, I understand from what you've said and what you're uh, uh, repeating of State President, Senate President uh, Karen Spilka said is, you have her support. Do you have the support of uh, Governor Healy and Lieutenant Governor Driscoll? Well, for uh, Governor Healy specifically spoke about also about the need to invest in public higher education. She endorsed a version of free community college, which the Senate President also did. So that's part way of one of our major goals in the Massachusetts Teachers Association, which is debt free public higher education. And I'll note that Lieutenant Governor Driscoll um, was a graduate of Salem State University and has repeatedly spoken about the need to invest in public higher education. So with the fair share amendment, with new leadership uh, uh, in the Senate, I mean, in the, in the governor and Lieutenant Governor's offices, I think we have a moment here. I turn the microphone back to you and our very special guest, Max. So I really want to hear um, Phyllis is an example of an outstanding faculty member who unfortunately, or I don't know, unfortunately, but is a product of kind of the insecurity 
of um, the world of public higher education. So Phyllis, tell us first about you, how that what you teach and um, the, the kind of conditions and where you teach at in public higher education. Um, yes, hi, I teach at Greenfield Community College and at Holyoke Community College. I'm an adjunct faculty in math, so that means that I'm part-time. It also means that my contracts are semester by semester. Um, and there is basically no benefits, um, no health insurance, um, no retirement, no social security, you know, that's the way it is. Um, but really of talking about what I do is the math that I teach is the students who struggle with math, the students who come to math um, with anxiety, unprepared, difficult situations, and are not ready to take college credit math. So I work with them in math courses to get them to a place where they can believe in themselves, where they can change the way they are approaching math and come to a place where they believe they can do math and they are capable of doing it. So in doing that, students change their whole outlook. They change what they believe they can have for goals. They know they can go for careers that have some math in it. And it just makes a bit major difference. And it's not only the students who benefit, it's the other people who are in their lives. Uh, just a quick example. I had a student one semester who took my math class. And by the end of the first month, she was coming into class happy and talking to the students and really had shifted the way she looked at learning so that she knew she could do this course. And she was, she was doing it. She was learning and she was getting the, the content. The next semester, I had her mother in my class because her daughter had come home so happy and so excited and had changed the way that she was looking at the world and the way that she was looking at learning and what goals and what careers she could have that her mother got her GED during that same semester and then started community college. And then the following semester, I had her father in my class who had been so inspired by his, by his daughter and by his wife that he got his GED and started community college. Um, all of them had came to a place where they believed in themselves and they knew that they could learn and they could have a better life with better careers and a better outlook. So we're talking with Phyllis Keenan, uh, adjunct faculty member at Greenfield Community College and also Holyoke Community College. I have to say, Phyllis, I heard you, I wanted you on this show because I heard this when you presented this to the legislators at the state house, it gave me chills then it still gives me chills. So you took, you were teaching ostensibly a math class, but essentially over these three semesters, you have, you contributed to transforming the outlook of this entire family about learning about their possibilities. That's how I heard it. It's really kind of an incredible story. Yes, because what we do at community colleges at least what I do and the faculty I know what we do is that we take students where they're at and we take them where they're at. We work with them to learn the material, but we also work with them to learn who they are and what they can be and how they can achieve that so that they're going from a place of wherever they are and they need to change um, how they identify themselves. They change and what they can do. And we, we broaden their minds, we get open their possibilities, and we help them get to those possibilities. So it's interesting, you know, you teach math, math skills clearly, which may be useful in a future career, but really what you're saying is that you're, that you're teaching um, young people, or, or I shouldn't just say young people, you teach people in college 
and you get people to college to think about their change their view about what they are able to do in their lives. That's a that's a much broader and in some ways more even more radical idea than teaching one particular um, subject area. It is, and that is my goal when I teach. And that is how I see community colleges transforming people's lives. And it's not only the, it's not just their lives, it's the lives of everybody around them because there's a ripple effect. And sometimes it's not just a little ripple, it's a tsunami, you know? <laughs> and people just really, you know, get um, wrapped up in that and they can really see that there's something different for themselves. And we change communities. We're really important in communities. In Western Mass, we have you know a small community college in Greenfield. There's another small one at the Berkshires, and we're we don't have a lot of students compared to one of the Boston colleges. However, the impact that we have on individuals and the impact we have on all of the communities that surround our colleges is really large, and it's really important that these opportunities are there for students of all ages. Many of our students are not 18-year-olds um, starting college, like at four-year colleges. Most students, there's some that are, there's some that start in high school. Many are 25 or 30 or 40 and are coming back to this. So Phyllis, if I could go back though to earlier, uh, what your comments, you sort of, you know, moved quickly through the conditions under, under which you work. So I think we've established, I hope listeners completely understand, like the vital, vital role you play in this region one class, one individual at a time transforming lives. And yet you said you have to work semester to semester. That means, I think if I understand, each semester you don't know whether you're teaching or how many courses you're teaching one, one semester to the next. And it sounds like though you teach mainly at Greenfield Community College, you also pick up, have to pick up courses at Holyoke Community College. And I think then you also said you have no benefits, meaning no health insurance, is that right? No, no pension benefits. Is that right? That's right. We um, we don't fall under the health insurance plan that state employees fall under. We can access health insurance through the health connector or through Mass Health, as anyone else can in the state. But our employer, the state of Massachusetts, is not pro providing us health insurance, and so that's a reality. Um, as state employees for education, we do not um, get Social Security paid into by the state or taken out of our paycheck. What we have is we have that seven and a half percent put into a fund that doesn't grow any money that often loses money. So I take that out and put it into a retirement fund, but the, my employer is not contributing anything and my employer is not contributing to Social Security in that either. And I think it's important to note, I don't know what the numbers at Greenfield Community College, College, but at some of our community colleges, 70 to 80% of courses are taught by adjunct faculty. Now, obviously you are an outstanding, outstanding faculty member, but it does not make sense. It is not, and it is not just to ask people to know what, not know what they're teaching semester to semester. I know that the per course fee is very little compared to uh, a full-time faculty member and not having health insurance and pay and pension benefits. This is just wrong. And yet it is something that has grown, exploded over the past 20 or 30 years. It, uh, my understanding is it's a cost saving thing for the college. Um, and that's how they look at it. Um, 
I mean, I started this when my kids were little and I needed something part-time um, that could fit in my life because I had two young children to take care of and was the only parent. Um, I did think though that I might move into a full-time position as time went on, um, but there's just not very many. And that's unfortunately the way it is. There's not very many. And that's one thing that we do need more of. We need more full-time faculty. There's, you know, when 50 to 80% um, of courses are being taught by adjunct faculty. I mean, I was given my course assignment this week for the semester starting, you know, in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and it's a course I've taught before, you know, so I can do the prep for it. I mean, I've learned I don't prep for a course until I have a contract because, it, you know, it's not real until the contract's there. Um, however, you know, the thing is that um, with, if, with more funding to community colleges, one of the things that can happen is there can be more full-time faculty in the colleges because there can be the pay for that. There is certainly the number of courses that is available to be taught could be filled with more full-time faculty positions. I think that's a really important point. There's, of course, always will be a need for, for in people teaching individual courses, and it may be in some point, um, some times valuable for individuals to have that part-time work, but that's not re the reason why the community colleges have 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 uh, completely turned over to adjunct faculty. It is, as you say, a cost-saving measure. It's because we disinvested in public higher education over the past 20 or 30 years. I think your story is so important because as we talk about um, free community college, which is what uh, the Senate president uh, spoke about and then um, was that was echo echo echoed by the new Governor Healy, we have to talk about the, the, the other side of the equation, the quality of education, the, the fairness of the jobs that are offered so that you can provide um, the, full, you know, the full value of your, um, your skills and outlook to the job and not be having to chase courses here and there and not know whether you're teaching a course from one semester to the next. What, have, what would have happened to that young person um, if you didn't have a course the next semester that her mother could take? or the following that the father could take. If you were just, well, sorry, there's no course, you have to go on somewhere else, they wouldn't have had the continuity of your, um, your presence. I think the continuity is very important. Students do often create a relationship with the first teachers that they have at a college. And as professors, we, we want to launch the student to other professors, other classes, into whatever their career goals, their courses, yet there is something about a professor that they had a good experience with, particularly in a subject that they struggled with. And so there are people who really want to have that professor again, or, or they have friends or family members who are really anxious and so therefore know that a good experience can be had in math with a particular professor. And so that continuity is really important. I'd like to ask one last question before we leave. And it's this, and it goes to both of you. I was struck by Phyllis Keenan's story in a, for a number of reasons, but one is the devotion she has to her students. Really, Phyllis, it's extraordinary. And the second part is, relates to what Max said, which is you're paid by the course. When you spend time with your students, when you devote hours to their well-being, where you take care of them and counsel them, all of that, that's on your time. You don't get paid for that. That's all for, for out of your the goodness of your heart and the expertise that you bring to your profession, and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts just exploits adjuncts. 
And I'm wondering whether or not you think that that is going to be remedied under Governor Healy and President Spilka, Senate President Spilka. Max, you want to take that for 30 seconds? Yes, sure. Listen, um, we have been in this battle for many years. I will say that I was struck both by the governor's comments and the Senate president's comments. I feel like all the advocacy that has been going on for many years may really bear fruit. And I will also note that it is Senator Comerford um, from our area here who is going to be leading the charge on our new Cherish Act. That's the name of the bill for both the reinvestment in public higher education, fair pay and benefits for adjuncts, as well as creating debt-free public higher education. So, and I will note that in that speech, the speech begins with a thank you to Senator Comerford, who introduced and nominated the Senate president to be the Senate president again this year. So I think we have a lot of stars are aligning. A final word from you, Phyllis Keenan. Um, I'm just looking forward to the the new um, legislative group that's there, and I'm really hoping that they will fund higher education and particularly community colleges because it's really important to students and communities and families throughout the state. Phyllis Keenan, Max Page, thank you both so very much for being with us for all you do. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Voting as well as early voting is the way to go. It shows that we trust the voters. They know why they need an early ballot. They know why they need an absentee ballot. It's not up to government to decide if it's a legitimate reason or not. The voters should get to choose. So this, I think, is a huge advance. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free, far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well without unnecessary risk? Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit Hug HugYourMoney.com. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. But I don't see wine here, Ringo. What do you got? Well, who am I? You're the spirit guy. Uh oh. So you're taking me down the road of spirit. So our next whiskey is going back to traditions here. Uh, this is Port Eskeg, eight year old single malt scotch. So it's actual scotch? This is Scotland scotch, mm-hmm. scotchy scotch scotch. This is an Isla single malt, peatier in style. This one does not suffer supply chain issues because you wouldn't be giving it to us if it did, right? Correct. It says Port Eskeg, which is a location, but it's an independent bottler that gives them their whiskey. Because there's so many different approaches on whiskey, I really try and hit everything with a very open mind as far as what can be good. This one got 95 points at the, the Ultimate Spirits Challenge. Well, I think this is very good. And how much is this single mall? This is 66.99, so it's kind of right in that low to mid-entry level price point. 
Find your favorite whiskey and your next favorite whiskey at State Street. Do you use home oxygen? Do you know about the increased risk of fires and burns? No one should smoke in your home. There's more oxygen in the air, which makes fires burn faster and hotter. Furniture, clothes, bedding, and hair absorb oxygen and can catch fire more easily. Keep 10 feet away from any flame or heat source. For more information, call 1-877-9-NO-FIRE or go to mass.gov DFS. Breathe easy and use your home oxygen safely. Space, a final frontier. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is Salman Hamid's universe, shortened as it was years ago from Salman Hamid's ridiculously large and largely ridiculous universe. It's just Salman Hamid's universe. It's just the way it is. Salman is a professor at Hampshire College and an astronomer. He's with us every month. We so appreciate your time, Salman. Listen, we were talking just before we went on about Artemis and exoplanets, and there is actually a lot of news, breaking news from outer space. It may be trillions, well, billions of years old anyway. Um, so tell us what's, what is happening with that. Uh, thank you, Bill, and Happy New Year. And, uh, and I should just uh, mention that universe is not shrinking. The universe is not getting smaller. It's just the title of this segment is getting smaller. Universe itself is accelerating. <laughs> it's, it's every moment. It's, it's becoming much bigger than, uh, it, than it ought to be, or it is. And who knows? It's also, it can be infinite. But anyway, I digress. But, but, but one of the things that I wanted to uh, talk about uh, and we have frequently addressed this issue, but I think it's a serious one, uh, and that is about future of space exploration. And Artemis One, that was the uh, new sort of like you no know, rocket, and uh, that went uh, from NASA, that went around the moon and came back, spent some sent some spectacular pictures, and it is part of the American program to get back to the moon. And Artemis was the twin sister of Apollo. So that's where uh, the name comes from. And the goal is that Artemis II right now is uh, expected to uh, have humans on it. Artemis I was un unmanned. Artemis II is going to have humans. It will go around the moon and come back. And that is going to be at the end of 2024. And then in 2025, at the end of 2025, it is expected that NASA will land the first uh, humans on the moon since 1972. And uh, this would include the first woman, American woman, and um, uh, first African-American uh, uh, astronaut as well. Now, that is taking place. And there has always been this sort of like, you know, side thing that, oh, is this a space race with China? or not, uh, because uh, the 60s moon landing certainly was colored by, by, this, by the Cold War and space race. And a lot of, of, lot of the optimists kept on saying, well, this is not. And even though, again, I'm not commenting on Chinese actions, I'm talking purely from the American perspectives, even though Americans, NASA, Congress has been excluding China from any kind of cooperation. In fact, uh, it is NASA is prohibited from any kind of cooperation with China since I think 2011, at least. That's the reason why they were not part of, they're not part of the International Space Station. So China built their own space station. It just finished uh, last year. And 
But now uh, what I wanted to just mention, and again, it gets lost in the infinite uh, number of speaker elections that are taking place in Congress <laughs> and other kinds of headlines. Uh, but Bill Nelson, who is a former Florida senator, and he's also the head of NASA now, he explicitly said just a couple of days ago, he said, in fact, we are in a space race. And it is true that we better watch out that they don't get to a place on the moon under the guise of scientific research. And it is not beyond the realm of possibility that they say, keep up, we are here, this is our territory. And they, he means China. Let me ask you this. In, in the 1960s, there was an explicit policy of the United States government that space exploration was for peaceful, peaceful surf purposes. It was put under the auspices of NASA, a civilian agency, and not the military. I am wondering whether, given this competition with China to explore and maybe even claim parts of the moon, which would be contrary to the international treaties, but that's not to say, I mean, who's going to enforce them? That said, uh, do we have some sense of whether or not this space race to the moon uh, with China is in is going to be used for peaceful purposes, for scientific purposes, for space exploration, as opposed to potential military purposes? Um, again, my optimistic part would say yes, but the rhetoric from the get-go, it's a bit different. I think because the 60s Cold War was also about, at least on the surface, sort of like, you know, about projecting the larger context that the U.S. is for projecting, talking about freedom and all of that stuff, sort of like, you know, against the Soviet Union. And it was the ideological battle that was also there. And hence, that kind of message was crucial. What I find more disturbing right now, and again, I'm not saying that the 60s uh, space race was amazing or that was great. I'm just saying at least there was a rhetoric that transcended or that talked about the broader potentials of humans in space. That part is right now completely missing. To, so one part of it is because space, the near earth uh, sort of like space has become really crucial for military as well. And of course, uh, President Trump started Space Force. Space Force didn't go away. People laughed at it at that time, but Space Force is actually now integrated in the US, other branches of the military as well. And so the boundary of where you have space for exploration versus where you have space purely for military purposes, I mean, that is actually merging quite fast. I mean, it was always there, but now it's much more explicit. Now, if you go on the moon, one of the places, and if you're trying to establish a permanent presence, which NASA has stated its goal, so has China. China wants to send the first Taikonauts uh, by the end, before the end of decade is over. I'm going to say it. not because it's easy, but because it's hard. No, I'm not going to say that. But that's what Chinese plans are right now, that before the decade is over, they are going to have Taikonauts on the moon. The place where you can have a base on the moon is the South Pole, because that is where we have found water in the uh, in the shadows, in, in, in the regions of craters, lunar craters, which are permanently in the shade. They, they don't get the sunlight, and so water can actually stay there, it just evaporate. 
So the question is, okay, so you have very limited resources. That's where it's going to be, limited range of landings. What's going to happen in there? And just to give you an idea again about the rhetoric, this is a statement just from a couple of days ago from a former commander of the International Space Station, an American. He said that there is potentially mischief China can do on the moon. If they set up infrastructure, they could potentially deny communications, for example. Having them there doesn't make things easier. There is real concern about Chinese meddling. So you can already see nothing has happened. China is actually saying that we are doing it for peaceful purposes. They actually, their statement, they responded to that and they said that American statements are disturbing. We are going there for scientific purposes. But the American statements are these. Like, you know, oh, wait a minute, but they are going to be creating mischief. And so it is this kind of uh, rhetoric which could easily lead to that uh, when the two bases are there, they are from the beginning mistrustful of each other. We're speaking with Professor, Hampshire College Professor and Astronomer Salman Hamid. This is Salman Hamid's Universe. We'll have more right after this break. Get in on the conversation. Call 413-586-7140. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Governor Maura Healey made some big promises during her inauguration speech yesterday at the State House, including forming a task force focused on building more affordable housing on state-owned land and appointing a new Secretary of Housing to address affordability statewide. She also vowed to provide free community college for adults with no college degree and invest in child care. Our state has some of the highest child care costs in the country. Our care workers don't make a livable wage. So today, let's pledge to be the first state to solve the child care crisis. Let's finally pass legislation in line with Common Start to make sure that every family pays what they can afford. Healy made history yesterday by being sworn in as the first woman and lesbian governor in Massachusetts history. A Connecticut couple is gifting the Emily Dickinson Museum in Amherst with a major donation. Jane and Robert Keeter of Lakeville have made a $2.5 million contribution specifically to endow the museum's directorship, creating the first endowed position at the historic home of the famous poet. Northampton City Council is considering capping the number of marijuana dispensaries in the city to 12. The idea began in early fall amid controversy over plans to open a dispensary at the former pizza factory in Florence that ultimately failed after Mayor Gina Louise Shera declined to approve a community host agreement. Should the committee decide to make a recommendation on the proposed ordinance, it will be sent back to the council to be voted on at its January 19th meeting. Snow will continue through early to mid-afternoon. Occasionally some rain may mix in, especially in the valley. Up to three inches of accumulation, a high of 36 to 40. Partial clearing tonight, overnight low of 24 to 30. Sun cloud mix tomorrow, 38 to 42. Mostly sunny upper 30s on Sunday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Los republicanos de la Cámara atravesaron un largo segundo día de votaciones infructuosas el miércoles, incapaces de elegir a su líder Kevin McCarthy como presidente de la Cámara o idear una nueva estrategia para poner fin al caos político que ha empañado el comienzo de su nueva mayoría. Sin embargo, McCarthy no se dio por vencido, incluso después de que la cuarta, quinta y hasta una sexta ronda de votaciones no arrojaron mejores resultados y se quedó tratando de cancelar una sesión nocturna. Incluso eso fue controvertido, ya que la Cámara votó 
lanzó 216 contra 214 en medio de gritos y multitudes para levantar la sesión por la noche. No se evidenció ningún progreso en absoluto durante el día de votación tras votación cuando los republicanos intentaron elevar a McCarthy al puesto más alto. Las votaciones estaban produciendo casi el mismo resultado. 20 opositores conservadores aún se negaban a apoyarlo y lo dejaban muy por debajo de los 218 que normalmente se necesitan para ganar el mazo. De hecho, McCarthy vio caer su apoyo a 201 cuando un compañero republicano pasó a votar simplemente presente. La Cámara no pudo hacer ningún otro trabajo como jurar nuevos miembros, formar comités, atender la legislación o investigar la administración de Biden hasta que se elija al nuevo presidente. Al no ver una salida rápida al estancamiento político, los republicanos votaron abruptamente al final del día para aplazar la sesión durante unas horas mientras buscaban desesperadamente un final para el caos que ellos mismos crearon. El comienzo desorganizado del nuevo Congreso señaló las dificultades que se avecinan con los republicanos que ahora controlan la Cámara. Por su parte, el presidente Joe Biden dijo que el resto del mundo está mirando la escena en el piso de la Cámara. «Creo que es realmente vergonzoso que esté tomando tanto tiempo», dijo Biden. No tengo idea de quién prevalecerá. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Space, a final frontier. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Hampshire College professor and astronomer Salman Hamid. I want to go back to something you referenced in our earlier segment, Salman, And that is Kevin McCarthy and the headlines and day-to-day and minute-to-minute coverage. And it's all very exciting. Which right-wing, far-right-wing Republican will lead the United States House of Representatives? Uh, I I agree it's important. But it seems to me, compared with the question of whether or not China could install military bases on the moon, take over the moon, in essence, for its own... uh, Uh, purposes, military and industrial, um, exclude the United States. We're talking about something of extraordinary importance and potential danger. And I'm wondering whether we as a country are missing the importance of what is happening in outer space and in these space programs today. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I should clarify. China has not said that this is what it wants to do. In fact, China has explicitly said that they're, uh, in fact, I can give it a quote actually. They said that some US officials have spoken irresponsibly to misrepresent the normal and legitimate space endeavors of China. Uh, In fact, they said that, and so again, my problem is right now, first of all, humans are not back on the moon yet and the moon base is, but it's going to happen. Usually, from the American side, at least previously, there used to be at least the statements would say that it's space is for peaceful purposes. Right now, the statements from NASA officials are actually hostile. And China is saying, so this is what China said, Chinese officials, they said, outer space is not a resting ground. The exploration and of peaceful uses and peaceful uses of outer space is humanity's common endeavor and should benefit all. China always advocates the peaceful uses of outer space. So China okay. China is and saying the right have, China's yeah. saying the right things, what we want to hear, what we hope they would say, and the United States government is saying we don't believe you. 
That's exactly right. And not and we are not saying that we are going there for peaceful purposes. I mean, I mean, my problem is that they are saying these things, but then so China is saying we oppose the weaponization of an arms race in outer space. This is explicitly what Chinese officials are saying, right? American officials are saying this is an arms race. They may exclude us. They may cause mischief. And the word mischief, I mean, like, you know, it's, it's just the very loaded terms that are being used in terms of that. My concern, I, we are here in the U.S. Our concern is our officials. <laughs> and we are not hearing the language that ought to de-escalate or ought to work towards a better future in space. The language that we are hearing from our officials is actually more for a hostile environment in space, for an adversarial relations, which, you know, this is one of those things. If we keep on with this track, we are going to exactly get what we wish for because we are not giving any kind of benefit of the doubt uh, to the other side. Salman, the Artemis One flight was an unpersoned flight around the moon. Artemis II, again, this is the successor to the Apollo program. Artemis II is going to have astronauts. Uh, it's going to be a, a flight with human beings on it, which, as I understand it, exponentially uh, is exponentially more difficult uh, from a technological and scientific point of view. And I'm wondering if you could just give us a preview of what we should anticipate from Artemis II that we didn't have to uh, worry about with regard to Artemis One. Right, and, and these are all the luxuries that uh, during the space race, the first space race, I should say, in the 60s, I mean, the time frame was such short, like, you know, that things were done much more quickly. So uh, in this particular instance, by the way, the flight, the pattern that Artemis One took it's going to be the same flight pattern for Artemis too. I mean, so, so they have actually rehearsed it from that perspective. It did, had, uh, it did have mannequins in there. They were also monitoring radiation levels and, and other types of things that, what impact would it make? So all of those things have gone actually pretty well. So in Artemis two, when they are going to be humans, they are not going to be landing on the moon in Artemis two. That's Artemis three, that's, uh, that's in 2025. So, they do have one safety feature, which, uh, if I remember correctly, was not part of the Apollo program, and that is that the rocket, when it goes up, it actually first going to make one round around the Earth just to make sure if everything is working right or not before going off uh, to the moon. So I think there is uh, that safety feature in there. Rest of it, I mean, uh, the overall program. I mean, humans have been to the moon. Uh, we know how to do that. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's a totally a plausible thing. I, I don't think, I think it, it is difficult. I'm not saying that it's not. After all, it is sort of like, you know, putting a man on the moon or humans on the moon now. Uh, <laughs> a but, person uh, on the moon. We... But person on the moon. But I think, uh, but it's, uh, it should be okay. The tests are being done. And um, uh, yeah, as long as yeah, I hope we don't give them guns or something like that to keep the Chinese mis from, from mischievous activities. So as long as we don't do that, I'm, I'm excited about it. 
Okay. I think what we're going to do, Salman, is leave it on an optimistic note. Tell me one more time. We're going to have Artemis II in 2023, Artemis III, uh, the person landing on the moon in uh, 25. No, no, uh, 24, 2024 is uh, Artemis II, and then 2025 is uh, the first uh, uh, landing as part of uh, the Artemis program, first uh, humans, um, again, second time, meaning to say from NASA, astronauts being uh, on the moon. And if I can just, before I go, I've been watching and finishing up For All Mankind, which is an alternative history where the Soviets land on the moon first. It's actually an apple. I'm enjoying it. There are three seasons. Uh, so if you want to check it out and get into the messy politics of these type of things, check it out for all mankind. On Apple TV? On Apple TV. Just one more streaming service that you need. You <laughs> must have. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Salman Hamid, thank you so very much. This has been Salman Hamid's Universe. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Hey, everyone. It's Tina Marie, co-pilot of The Cambridge Connection. I'm also a certified credit counselor. For 25 years, I've been helping people have a better relationship with money while getting out of debt. Every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. right here on WHMP, join me, Gordon, and our variety of amazing experts who stop by to offer great advice navigating the daily financial maze of life. We all have favorite moments. So as we embark on 2023, Gordon and Tina Marie reflect on their favorite shows from 2022. Do you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass. Get takeout, save 30%. Get candles, or hit the links, save 30%. Dog grooming, outdoor recreation, burritos, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were gonna buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. You want the very best opportunities for your child. Given the amount of time children spend in school each day, you want your child to be inspired, to be engaged, to love going to school. At Bement, each student experiences this every day. The Bement School in Deerfield is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe. Kindergarten through ninth grade, learning from each other in the classroom, rooting for each other on the athletic field, and celebrating each other on the stage. We are local, we are global, and our differences make us stronger. We interact face-to-face, -face, share meals together every day, and open doors for one another. The true essence of your child's time at Bement is preparing for a life of integrity, of significance, of joy. Financial aid and transportation are available to help make a Bement school education possible. I'm Kim Laughlin, Director of Admission. Please contact me or visit our website. Bement will be the best investment you make in your child's future.
When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley Co-op. The beat goes on. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is Artbeat with Donna Belcassis. We hope to have a special guest joining us in just a few moments. Donna Bell, tell us what you would like us to know about the art scene in the Valley this weekend. <laughs> Good morning, Bill. Happy Friday. Um, yes, well, I'm excited about this show that's opening up tomorrow at Hosmer Gallery. There are actually three artists opening um, at Ford Library, but uh, one of the artists I will be featuring today, it's called A Mosaic Journey, Peregrinations on Being Human by Cynthia Fisher. Um, it opens from 2 to 4.30 this Saturday. And Cynthia joins us today. Welcome. Hi. Glad to be here. Wonderful. Now, Cynthia, your mosaics are so fascinating and intricate. How did you choose to be a mosaic artist? Um, well, I started out with a background in science, which um, you can certainly tell by the theme of this show that that's one of my um, interests still. Um, I began as a children's book illustrator and started doing mosaics about 20 years ago. And I do mostly public art. I do private commissions. I teach in my studio here in Buckland and at Snow Farm in Williamsburg. I bring groups of mosaic artists to Guatemala every year. And um, I always try and find time to create my own work, which is what um, the work in this show is, because I love creating my artwork. And I always, um, I like to do things that are not commission work. Um, and that things that, that are my own ideas. Now, peregrinations on being human. Please tell us what that means to you. Yeah, tell us what that um, word means. Peregrinations means wandering around. Um, and I had some hesitation about whether to use it, but I'm a big reader and um, I don't like to dumb down what I choose to say because I'm not sure someone else is going to understand it because that's how we learn more words. So peregrinations just means wandering around. So so it's kind of like me wandering around in the theme of being human. And this is something that I've done, um, I feel like my whole life, I've kind of been interested in it and it's taking um, the uh, bigger view, kind of stepping back and, and taking a look at who we are as a species. Hmm. Now you would address the idea of What's Next for Humans, in your piece titled Two Hands. Can you describe for our listeners, since we are on radio, what that looks like and what you were speaking about in that piece? Okay, sure. Um, so um, the hand on the bottom of the piece is um, uh, a reference to cave art that has been created um, worldwide thousands, um, tens of thousands of years ago. And one of the things I find fascinating is that um, the people who made these handprints did not know each other. They all independently came up with the idea that they wanted to leave their mark on the inside of a cave. 
Um, and the, the way they did it usually was with a, some kind of something like a straw. So maybe a piece of hollow grass where they would blow pigment around the hand and you see the imprint of the hand. So these are all over the world. And I just think that in and of itself is totally cool. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the past. And then in, in the future, um, the hand that represents now and the future um, is more about um, things like how we've alter, we have the ability to alter our genes and change who we are um, in that way by gene editing CRISPR and that stuff. I mean, it's it really is fascinating how examples of human creativity seem similar no matter where the location is in the world. And if people you know haven't seen these mosaics, they're really quite intricate, and you know there's several different colors, various size of pieces. I'm interested, you know, especially with your piece called Cogito Ergo Sum, which of course is a famous quote termed by Descartes, but can you tell us a little bit about your process and how you start a mosaic? Um, sure. That one I actually created before I had the idea for this series. So that was, um, again, the same idea. I've always been fascinated by us. And the fact that our brains are so incredible in what they can um, uh, conceive and come up with. Um, and so that is sort of a right brain, left brain um, depiction. And I feel like whenever I work on a mosaic, I am always working in my right brain and my left brain. And so the creative part is when you let go of thinking and you're in the creative process and it's just a wonderful state where time passes and you're you kind of aren't aware of anything um mm -hmm. happening um whereas the other part of my brain i have to think about what i want to create what it might look like at the end so that's kind of the other half of the brain so mm -hmm. i thought, thought felt like it was a really appropriate my medium is particularly appropriate for what i was trying to say which is true of all of the works i feel like because i work with objects of pieces of glass and and ceramic, for me, it's just the perfect um, melding of what I want to say and how I say it creatively. Mm. Well, I mean, I'm looking at the little tiny pieces of glass and ceramics. Where do you get these? Are these things that you've actually made or and then then broken? Tell us about that. Uh, most of them, I I can buy what's called mosaic glass. Mm -hmm. A lot of my pieces are made with stained glass. But then um, some of my favorite pieces that I incorporate are um, pieces of broken pottery. So sometimes mm -hmm. they're from potter friends, and those ones I adore. And for me, they're like my form of gold because they're so special. Mm -hmm. And then on also just um, broken um, uh, plates. Um, mm -hmm. And and I like I really like using a variety of materials in all my work. I mean, so these, when I break are... a plate at home, I can send it to you? Something useful? Yes. To... Okay, yes, great. <laughs> okay, we'll get, I'll get your address after the show. Yeah. <laughs> How are you breaking plates, though? <laughs> uh, anyway, so please, if you have a chance this Saturday, check out Cynthia's show. It's opening tomorrow from 2 to 4.30. How long is it up, Cynthia, and what are the hours? Um, the, it's up for the month of January. And I'm not positive of all the hours. I do know the library is closed on Sundays. Mm -hmm. um, but whenever the Northampton Library is open, the show will be open. And there mm -hmm. are two other artists who have um, works on display, which are um, wonderful to see as well. Is there so, one? Oh, 
sorry, is there one particular piece in less than a minute that you have in the show that kind of speaks to all the pieces? Uh, I, my favorite piece, or one of my favorites, is the last one I created, and it's of um, what my vi vision of life was before we settled down and had a lot of wealth inequality. And it's basically landscapes of our 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 beautiful planet um, and just sort of appreciating what we have here and with all the environmental stuff going on, thinking about how we're losing it. Mm, and how we can try to protect it. Yes. Cynthia Fisher, exactly. thank you so much for sharing your work today and your perspective. It's a great show. Please go out and see it. Again, tell Thank us tell so us much. where. The Forest Library um, in Northampton. The Hosmer Upper upstairs. Gallery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hosmer Gallery. Donna Belcassis, Cynthia, Cynthia Fisher. Thank you both so very, very much. Thanks. I can't wait to continue my peregrinations in this life. <laughs> Thank you both so very, very, very much. Sounds Thanks fast. So sounds fascinating. Can't wait to see the show. Thank all of our listeners. We thank all of our listeners for being with us and hope you have a great weekend. See you back here on Monday. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. I grew up in a normal home in a normal town. All of a sudden, everything got crazy. I didn't talk to anybody about the way I was feeling. I was scared and I was alone. I started drinking. I just didn't want to deal with what was happening in my life. I knew about AA, but thought I was too young. I found out I was wrong. If you have a problem with your drinking, why don't you give AA a call? Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Online and in-person meetings. For more, call 413-532-2111 or visit westernmassaa.org. Global news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.